We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our early thoughts on the tight end position. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas and Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter, bengretsch.slipstack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at rotaviz.com. Sean, you've been breaking down a lot of recent drafts over at rotaviz. We've been going through each position, some early thoughts. I'm going to wrap it up today with the tight end position. And tight end's always a fun one. It's, I think, a sometimes misunderstood position. There are a lot of uh, interesting elements. I mean, certainly we want talent. We want skill. We talk all the time about drafting you know, the best players, if you can. But it's also a position where situation can make a pretty big difference. Just the element of how many routes the tight end is running um, can be pretty huge because there's a lot of offenses that are using tight ends as blockers a decent amount, not necessarily putting, you know, sending them out on routes as much as we would like to see for fantasy, because it is this, you know, hybrid position. Uh, one way to certainly look at this is looking at slot rates and and the rate of uh, alignment out wide as well. Some of these tight ends, I mean, you look at Kyle Pitts last year, comes into the league, he basically plays wide receiver. Huge advantage there because you know he's going to be running a lot of routes. He's not in line blocking. Um, like play action plays. He's just out in a route a ton. And so you have, you know, varying degrees of of what percentage of dropbacks a tight end might run a route on. And then you have the element of, you know, how good is the offense he's in? How good is the quarterback? How good are the other receivers, which sometimes plays in? There are multiple ways to get there. You know, you can have players like Logan Thomas a couple years ago who's in a passing game that doesn't have a ton of other options. It does have Terry McLaurin. No defense is scheming for Logan Thomas, and he becomes this outlet that catches a lot of balls and has a really great year. Probably not the most talented tight end in the league, a converted you know, former quarterback. Then you, know, you can have other players who, because they're in an offense with a lot of great receivers, that also can help them. You know, I, I guess maybe Dalton Schultz is a good example of that. They had three good receivers. Sometimes that was a little bit of a problem for him. Other times it made it easy for him to rack up a lot of catches sort of late in games and the comeback mode, two-minute drill type offense where the defenses are dropping back a little bit more. They're paying more attention to the more explosive receivers. Advantage Schultz. Tight end's an interesting position that way. Obviously, there are the guys that are the focal points of their offense too. You know, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, those types. So a lot of ways to sort of interpret what, a tight end's usage and his involvement in his offense could mean for fantasy, what he gets as a player, whether that will translate. It's a fun position. It is a fun position, Ben. And one of the elements and one of the reasons why I like to focus on it so much, probably more than maybe even as justified, but certainly more than we see some other places, arguably, is that tight end and elite tight end really is how you win fantasy football. We look at the teams that were in the finals of big tournaments last year. Mark Andrews, obviously a guy who carried them there. So much of what we discussed in the last 
really five years, you know, it's six years, even stretching back to like 2016 at Rotoviz is this idea of elite tight end wins you best ball leagues. And it's gotten to be something that's become much more mainstream to where we're looking at builds really from the perspective of, you know, how do you get that anchor running back if you want, but you have anchor running back, you have zero RB, but within each of them, that elite tight end usually is the foundation piece that supercharges the roster problem or the fun part of it we should say is making sure that we're creating exposure to the right elite tight ends and at the right prices and then if we miss and we're not that we're building in a scenario within those teams that they could still somehow be competitive right if you miss on that elite tight end what's your fallback does that fallback have enough upside so i'm excited for this one because tight end is a position that you have to make work if you want to have an elite best ball team but also ben this is something that we look at a lot as we build our main event teams in july certainly in august as we go in there in september because having the right tight end is essentially like or i should say is almost like having a full another starting position on your team the gap between the guys who score and everybody else and trying to kind of patch it together week by week i mean it's a big gap yeah you can get a huge you know competitive advantage positional advantage over your competition when you have one of those guys and it's muddied a little bit because tight ends do have decent injury rates you know over the years and when we see the elite tight ends fail it tends to be through injury which is unfortunate obviously but it is one of those things where i think i you know i i I, i'm right there with you i think i can probably speak for you as well that if we're going to take a detour early to this goal of a lot of wide receiver depth in the first, say, six rounds, I feel more comfortable doing it at tight end than even a running back. And that's why we end up with some, you know, zero RB builds. It's a position where as long as these guys stay healthy, we have a pretty good idea of who the best tight ends are. And so, you you know, some of them might have some struggles. It's an interesting year. Um, you know, George Kittle would always have been in that conversation, but how does Trey Lance and, and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, how does that all factor in? Darren Waller certainly has been in that conversation in the last few years. Now Devonta Adams is there. Maybe he's not, I, you know, it, so it's a little bit different for some of those guys right now. I mean, if you're talking about Travis Kelsey, you know, Travis Kelsey is going to give you a pretty massive edge as long as he just stays healthy for the, for the entirety of the year. It's a, I mean, he's a really nice pick. Now he's getting up there in age, and there's there's always some concern at tight end. But when you want to build rosters that increase your possibility of winning over that sort of baseline 8.3%, 1 in 12 chance of winning a league, you can't worry about sort of the bottom-out risk. You need to think about in what percentage of scenarios does it increase you and, and how much can it increase your, your probability of winning a league. Certainly, like, adding a guy like Travis Kelsey to your roster, maybe there's some age risk, maybe there's some injury risk, but in my mind, I mean, he's absolutely elevating your 8.3% because there's probably more than 50% of scenarios where he's giving this huge edge. It's all, I mean, similar to the running back, early running back discussion where running backs can get hurt. You, you need the running back to be good, but you also, or you need the running back to be healthy, but you also need him to be good because in some cases the running back can be not enough of a positional advantage even if they're staying healthy and getting enough volume that they don't really make a difference even when they're there that's not really the the case for the early tight ends i mean if kelsey's out there kelsey's gonna have an edge and we've had patrick mahomes talk a lot in the last couple of weeks about how this offense is going to be more varied they're going to be more receivers playing a role it's going to be hard to predict week to week who that alpha receiver or highest scoring receiver is but the caveat that he gives you is that travis kelsey is going to be involved and so we know that kelsey is there he's going to run a lot of routes he's going to score a lot of points then we're going to maintain the same sort of framework that we've been using in the series where we look at ffpc slim adp but if you're in a format where it's not tied in premium, these guys are going a little bit later, you can easily adjust it to that just by knocking the guys down half round, full round. It's still going to be the same types of targets in most cases. And the reason I mentioned that is Travis Kelsey going first half of round one, Mark Andrews going toward the turn, 
Kyle Pitts in the first half of round two. You've mentioned route percentage. I always like to look at the expected points and the fantasy points over expectation. You just mentioned talent. Three of the guys who jump out from last season as being over 2.5 FPOE, so fantasy points over expectation last year, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, the other player who really jumps out on a little bit lesser volume there, because, in part because the Eagles didn't throw a lot, is Dallas Goddard. When we look over to the Stealing Signals tool, and just to remind everybody, we use Sports Info Solutions data for this. They're absolutely fantastic. If you've been looking at a different source, I kind of consider this to be a feature and not a bug. You're going to get route results route data from multiple sources you can kind of compare that see how you like the two or just what insights might be there by the contrasts as i'm looking at this and i don't think this will be a surprise but when we're talking about 74 75 route percentage and higher we're looking at the stars that's a huge part of the game at tight end the player who took the huge jump this year was mark andrews andrews led the league in routes among tight ends last year uh using sports info solutions data he was right at 582 routes um i have some of my databases that look at the pff numbers that he was over 600 there previously had never gone over 350 routes in a season so you're talking about just a massive jump you're talking about a 200 and 50 route jump last year over his previous career high he maintained his really high efficiency his high yards per route run his ability to draw targets per route you know his yards per target after the the targets were drawn and so it was just this incredible route increase that was so positive for him the concern of course is i, I don't think there's a concern that he that he maintains that high route share again this year although they did add two tight ends in the draft and maybe they feel like they were overworking him a little bit. Nick Boyle got hurt last year. Maybe they didn't feel like they had any other options and they want to make it more of a rotational thing. That is something that Baltimore's done. It was always sort of bizarre that they didn't use him like they did in 2021 until 2021, but maybe they kind of want to pull back. Who knows? But I don't think that's a huge concern. I, what I do think is a concern is just the, the ability for him to get back to, you know, potentially leading the league in routes, getting back to this massive number of tight end routes, largely because of the offense as well. You basically have the two elements. You have the increase in the route share, and then you have the significant increase in passing volume. This is a team that wasn't even dropping back to throw 500 passes, let alone 600 from for most of the years, 2019, 2020 of, of Andrew's career. And so you had two elements working in his favor last year. That's the kind of thing you want to look for the next guy that might have that potential. But Andrews, to me, I mean, I think we have a great idea that he's a very, very good player. And I think you can definitely draft him high on that thought process. He's sort of the new age George Kittle in that regard that we know the efficiency is going to be there. There's maybe some route concerns. When he has these big seasons, it's going to be when the routes spike a little bit. Kittle's also had some years where the team hasn't used him as much as a route runner and and that's just not been as ideal and, and as big of seasons for him anyway I, I think andrew's price I, I think you can justify it because it is so hard to find the tight ends that have the type of ceiling that he can provide on a weekly level talk about these big tournaments we just saw last year it wasn't because he ran 600 routes that he was so viable it's because he nailed this three game stretch where he was fantastic. And you talked about the high percentage of teams that were in the championships that had him. There are only so many tight ends that can provide that type of value over three weeks. And he clearly has that, right? It doesn't even require him to be at the route percentage. He was to have that big late season edge potential, but just purely on a cost basis, I, I don't love taking him in the late first in tight end premium in the second and, you know, a non tight end premium as the tight end two coming off of this type of year. You mentioned how hard that's going to be to sustain for multiple reasons. We look at a few of these guys who have the really high yards per route. And as you write so eloquently on stealing signals from time to time, when you're looking at yards per route, you're looking at these two separate elements, the targets per route and the yards per target. 
And the yards per target is something that does play a big role, even though people will tell you, well, that portion of it is a little bit tricky. It can be tricky, right? When we're looking at these three tight ends who really crushed last year, you have Dallas Goddard at almost 11. You have George Kittle at 9.7 and Kyle Pitts at 9.3. You already mentioned that Kittle could be a little bit tricky what are your thoughts here on Kyle Pitts? We go into year two. One of the elements that we'll talk about for some of these sleeper tight ends in the second half of the show is that we do have later breakouts from tight end from time to time, and that's kind of mixed in with very minimal production early, which can get people to kind of come off of some of those guys prematurely. We also have this element, and Blair Andrews has just this phenomenal series of articles in the wrong read where he looks at breakouts at the different positions at the different ages, all of the things you want to take advantage of there. Tight end, especially for the guys who are drafted early, you do have this second-year breakout. Now, with Kyle Pitts, that would be a secondary breakout because he was so good last season. When I'm looking at this tight end position, and I'm seeing in these first three rounds really the big five, Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Kittle, and Waller, four of them have some real question marks and from that perspective i'm a little bit worried right because we know we want to load up on these players who can score so many points but waller has a situation where he's going to have more target competition you mentioned all of the target competition in the quarterback situation with george kittle kyle pitts kind of sandwiched in between these guys and i haven't gotten a lot of him in early drafts because the price is still very much a part of the equation there you're gonna to have to pass on a very good player in any format to take out pits but he might be the player who's the cleanest even though drake london enters the equation i think that actually helps him draw some defensive attention and then we don't necessarily know how good the quarterback play is going to be yeah i think we got a gift uh as early tight end drafters that he only scored one touchdown last year because you know we talked throughout the season especially early in the year when he was doing so well that it was sort of inevitable that he was going to finish, even if he had slowed up some, that he was going to finish with a really impressive age 21 rookie season. And the age 21 thing is huge. We always want, you, you know, I, I guess let's let's talk about Kyle Pitts as a wide receiver. We always want wide receivers coming in uh, as three-year guys, young ages, age 21. We want them to produce right away. If he's a wide receiver, he looks like one who had a fantastic rookie year, right? He had a strong targets per out run up over 20%, which is something that is a positive marker that I'm looking for. You mentioned he was also efficient after earning targets. His yards per target was very strong. His ADOT was high for a tight end. It was at 11.2. It was, you know, be right around the average for a wide receiver. His yards per out run over two, which... Rookies, just right off the bat, rookies who have, uh, you know, a yards per hour run season of, of two or greater right away. That's very promising. That's a very promising bucket to be in. All of that is, you know, yards per route. That's not including the touchdown element, but he comes out, he gets, you know, earns 110 targets. He has a 1,000 yard receiving season. Again, as a 21 year old tight end. The big talk about him last offseason was tight ends don't hit in year one, right? It was, that was, that was sort of the knock. People didn't want to bet on him right away because we don't see it from tight ends. Well, and then you could argue that maybe he wasn't even playing tight end, so it doesn't it doesn't even prove that he beat anything because he didn't have to learn the complex blocking schemes or anything. He just went out there and played wide receiver, and probably that's a fair argument. But regardless, what we saw as a 21-year-old at the NFL level, even if you're evaluating him as a receiver, makes him a really clear year-two target for all the reasons that we talk about on the wide receiver show that – we want these guys as they accelerate uh, into year two, this huge potential bump into year two. But with Pitts, we get the tight end advantage as well. We get the um, positional advantage. He should be where he's going, I think. I mean, I, I don't – if he was a wide receiver coming off this year, I'd want to take him right around the year two wide receivers – that were among the best in this class. Maybe not quite on Jamar Chase's level, but basically no one else. I mean, where would you put him against Jalen Waddle after one year? I mean, he, he was so good last year other than the tight ends, which we know that there's a segment of, of the fantasy football community that are just sort of chasing fantasy points. 
And he didn't have that great of a year largely just because of the tight ends. It is incredibly hard to score one touchdown when you get 110 targets. And there's nothing about his athletic profile that suggests that he's going to be a guy who can't produce touchdowns at a solid rate. But anyone who's going to do expected touchdown modeling this offseason, they're going to tell you he was expected to catch at least probably six or seven, I would say. It would have been below average for him to have four or five. He had one, right? And I, I think it's very possible and perhaps likely he's going to have seasons that he has eight to ten in the future. So if he has eight to 10 this year, even without even significant gains in targets or yardage or anything, but we would expect those gains, even as he has more target competition, because he's going from age 21 to 22, because he's having the second season in the NFL level, a second off season, the maturation that we see of year two players. This is such a promising first year line. So let's go to back into our look at specific draft tactics and which players we're looking to hit in which tiers is Kyle Pitts for you the guy that you want the most exposure to in the first tier we look at it from a, a tight end premium perspective you're going to take him ahead of Javante Williams Alvin Kamara Aaron Jones Saquon Barkley you're going to take him ahead of guys like Debo Samuel and Tyreek Hill in some cases, if you don't want to do that, you can get Waller or Kittle coming back around, or you could make a jump down to the next tier. And so then the other guys that we probably need to talk about quickly would be TJ Hawkinson and Dalton Schultz. Those guys are going at the end of the fourth in these FFPC slim drafts. And then there's actually a big gap from them down to Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, Dawson Knox and the next tier. So they're almost a mini tier in there. And that part is tricky as well. But before we get into them on those top five, how are you playing it? Yeah. I mean, I think we want exposure to all of them for the reasons we've started to say this. And I want as much Kelsey as I can get, but at the same time, the opportunity cost for Travis Kelsey is clearly the highest. I talked about, you know, pretty mealy mouth saying I, I still want to have some exposure to Mark Andrews, but I don't love his price. A big part of that is because I can get Kyle Pitts half a round later. That isn't a massive half a round. If, if you really think about like your exposures over a ton of best ball drafts. And I think I would take Andrews straight up probably, but I like that. I don't even know if I would. I, I really like that price for Pitts. Waller and Kittle are interesting to me. They're tough for different reasons that we've hit on. There are some concerns. Pitts just fits that profile of year two. Again, I keep thinking of him as a year two wide receiver who we get tight end scoring from, especially in this FFPC format where we get tight end premium. He's a year two receiver that I want to take in round two. We get to get 1.5 points per reception. I definitely want to take him over some of the concerns with Waller and Kittle. I love Waller and Kittle. I think you can still get exposure to those guys, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question directly, at these various prices, Pitts is the one that I want the like, I want to make sure my exposure is at least not light on. I want to make sure I have the most exposure to that I really think could be a key to 2022 fantasy football. I like that. And the person that I would throw in as being a player I'm drafting a little bit more heavily than I might have guessed is Darren Waller. I think that this Adams Waller situation could be much more like Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, than in some cases he's being drafted. Like, I mean, he's being drafted as though the injury from last season infects this year. He's being drafted as though the increased target competition is really going to knock him down. I think it could help him out. Now, we saw some games last season, especially week one, where he's peppered with an insane number of targets. I think those targets can stay high and he'll actually be able to avoid that defensive attention with Adams in there. So I like those two guys a lot. Kelsey and Andrews at the price and then Kittle with some of the things that he's dealing with. That doesn't mean you go to zero on Kittle. He's just too good, right? Anytime he has the ball in his hands, you feel like he could break seven tackles and go for 70 yards. You have to have some exposure to a guy like that because when you're talking about the final two, three weeks of the season, we saw him put up the massive point totals last year. They just weren't timed properly. If they had been timed properly like what Andrews did. Now, Andrews scored more total points, which makes it easier to time because you're not just saying, oh, I could cherry pick out the best weeks. And I think that's going to be an issue with Kittle again this year is if you really want the scoring, you're going to cherry pick out the best weeks 
Will they come at the right time? We don't know. You don't want to go to zero exposure. But we have this tricky element where Hawkinson and Schultz, I mean, are they that big of a gap up from Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, Dawson Knox? I think that they are, but it's definitely a conversation to have. And then the conversation of which of these two guys to take. The interesting thing when you, again, are looking at the stealing signals tool is you discover that Hawkinson running a route on a greater percentage of dropbacks, his yards per route, very similar to Schultz, even though you would expect with the differences in quarterback play and the differences in terms of other options to draw the defense, kind of surprising that it's that close. Now, Hawkinson drawing targets on more routes, not quite as effective on a yards per target basis, but not that far off. And then also a little bit better, and he gets this gap a little bit more in terms of weighted target per route because he has a little bit more in terms of air yards than Schultz. When you kind of back that out and look at those two guys, would you expect those trends to continue and or how much of a big deal is it that, I mean, the Cowboys, you would expect to be a much more efficient offense. Now, I say that with the note that in our quarterback segment, I, I tried to make a pitch for Jared Goff. <laughs> um i i've made you just made some favorable arguments for hawkinson i've made some arguments for schultz in that i think the team does like him they moved on from amari cooper they moved on or they let cedric wilson go i mean obviously he got a pretty nice deal from miami but i think part of that in their mind was that hey we have a good tight end dalton schultz here and yet you know, I, I've tried to make that case a little bit this offseason. I'm not entirely sure because I haven't been drafting a ton, but if I'm not mistaken, he was going kind of around Dallas Goddard earlier in the offseason. He's now in this range where, I mean, he's right behind the elite tight ends and right there with Hawkinson, who, you know, you alluded to. When we, when we look at long-term tight end trends, we know in Dynasty and other – formats or just in, in redraft people were talking about it with pits last year that sometimes it takes a little while for guys to break out i was talking to you before the show i was thinking of greg olson he first round pick started with the bears didn't really do much for like five years with the bears moves on to carolina has you know three straight thousand yard seasons is a great fantasy tight end for many years with carolina i also was thinking of eric ebron because we're looking at uh, dj hawkinson we were talking about him a little before the show drafted to the lions drafted incredibly high i think he was 10th overall pick Never really did anything with the Lions. Moves on to the Colts. Has some really great years. Um, you know, never really became a superstar or anything. But we do see, again, the situation being so important for the tight ends and just the slower development. We know that in, in Dynasty and those types of situations. So I think it can be instructive to zoom out a little bit and say, this guy had a really great profile coming in. There's a lot of reasons we liked him. He hasn't been great at the NFL level but we can still take this long view perspective and say, look, he hasn't been bad. His targets per out run all three years have been right around 20%. His yards per target have never really topped out. His routes have never really, you know, crested. We just saw Mark Andrews have a year four where he broke out, right? Big time, hit a ceiling, his best season so far. I'm not saying Hawkinson is necessarily likely to do that. I also think what we've seen through three years is, is sort of, not certainly indicative of what his true ceiling is as it might be more so at another position is, is essentially the, the case that I'm making. And so it wouldn't be that surprising for a guy who was a former really high draft pick has his profile to have sort of this late breakout. Now they have some more weapons. He doesn't have to be sort of the focal point of the passing game. I think that helps him in some of the ways you mentioned that Devonta Adams could help Darren Waller. You know, you get Jameson Williams in there late in the season and earlier in the year, just having DJ Chark and you already have Amon Ross St. Brown, who came on strong late last year. I mean, for the last couple of years, Hawkinson sort of had to be a you know a big part of his offense, the the focal point. And and now he might be in a situation where he gets to be viewed as more of the second or third option, which could be a, a pretty huge boost for his ability to to win on some, you know, in some single coverage situations. So when I look at Schultz and Hawkinson next to each other, as much as I do like Schultz, I like his situation. He was better last year at times when one of the the big three receivers last year was banged up. And I think sort of, 
you know, I'm not a big vacated targets guy, but I do think this is a situation where you can say, you know, defenses are, are almost never going to, I think, be keying on Dalton Schultz when you have guys like CeeDee Lamb and, you know, just other receivers on the, on the field. Michael Gallup, when he gets healthy, he's a guy who you just need a lot of routes out of. He's probably not going to be super explosive. It's hard for me to see him be, you know, competing with the, the top tight ends, what Kyle Pitts is capable of, what Travis Kelsey is capable of, what Mark Andrews is capable of. And so his price now it becomes a little bit restrictive for me. Hawkinson's the one, if I was going to take one of these two, that you can make a case, I think, that he makes this pretty huge jump, jump in routes, jump in efficiency, and becomes you know part of that tier as a player because he does have that longer pedigree that stretches back to college, stretches back to all of that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that's exactly right. And especially if some of those cowboy additions actually do take some targets, then we're talking about him relying a lot on touchdowns. Now, I think he can score a lot of touchdowns. It wouldn't be a surprise if he's right there with the league leaders and that will balance some things. But if Jalen Tolbert, if James Washington, if those guys play a even a slightly bigger role than people are anticipating, then you're starting to look at a target volume perspective that doesn't necessarily help him out at his price. You said a lot of positive things about Hawkins, and I would just throw in there too that I have heard uh, not necessarily pushback, but just some very fair notes about Hawkinson in that you know his usage profile isn't crazy elite. His efficiency isn't that good. You know, Do we want to draft him right after these top guys? And one of the things I would just say is that when you look at what he did last year, you want to keep in mind that in a big chunk of the games in the middle of the season, he was playing with a combination of upper body and lower body injuries. And the defensive attention was crazy, right? You watch these Detroit Lions games and he was being treated like some combination between Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson because he was playing well and they had nothing else. They're running Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond out there. And you're right. I remember exact same thing. The key third downs, even like some fourth down conversions. It seemed like they would always go to him too, but he'd be double covered on a five yard out. You know, I mean, when you're getting Travis Kelsey around the goal line coverage all over the field, it's going to be hard to put up the numbers that you need. He's one. And this is kind of a, a fun way to play it too. If you're playing both formats, but I actually like semi avoiding him in FFPC and drafting a ton in underdog because his price in underdog is just so easy to where you could build so much upside in with your first five, six picks and be able to pivot to Hawkinson so late. That's sort of a fun way to manage both things there. We talk about not getting like so overweight in a player that we like, even if we think that they're pretty undervalued because an injury very quickly can torpedo your season in that case. I think that you can actually play the two formats off of each other on I that particular that. guy. I love that. Cause you, and you started asking me 
you know, are, is the gap between Schultz and Hawkinson down to the Goddard tier as wide as we're seeing? I don't love taking those guys in the fourth round. And it's interesting, in Titan Premium, they belong there. But when you talk about underdog, they're going a lot later for a reason because it's not Titan Premium. You don't get that edge. And yet it does change con- from a construction perspective, as you just described, what the opportunity cost is. When you have to take them in the fourth round in a tight end premium format, the type of receiver you have to forego is a lot different than what you have to forego in the sixth or the seventh round. As you just said, you can start with so much more. And yeah, the edge they provide you might not be as great because there's not the tight end premium in a great season and a mediocre season and whatever type of season. But if we're going to pay a premium in, in, in tight end premium, we want it to be one of these top five guys probably. I really like that call. So then it gets tricky. We got to go to this tier where you have a balance between potential efficiency stars with potential breakout candidates with just sort of your compromise picks. Probably listeners know you and I are not going to be on those guys. But we look at this tier that kind of just trickles out over really five rounds, right? Where we have Goddard, Knox, Ertz, Pat Fryermuth in round eight is an interesting one because his peripherals were very good. He obviously popped as well in terms of touchdowns and anybody who was watching the Steelers play had to be impressed, but you've got the new quarterback situation there. Then Gasicki in the ninth, someone who would seem to have some room to really grow on the efficiency side. Gronkowski, is he playing or not? And then a few of our favorites in terms of Albert O, Cole Komet, Irv Smith. But I have to I have to say that as opposed to a lot of years, you know, every year we hear that tight end is deeper this season, and then every year it's not. But I guess I'm a little bit more pulled in by this siren song of the potential emerging players than I usually am. So it, is this a situation where I, I shouldn't be, you, you got to stick to, you know, what we know tends to happen. Are there guys within this group where you're like, I could dream about this player as being the next big time stud. Well, I always say, and I've been saying this for a couple of years. I remember saying it when I was at CBS that I don't think that's wrong. The way that that tight end perception is, because what I think, we just described how this position is is a little bit situation-based. Sometimes we find out that the players aren't getting the routes that they should get. We also know there's higher injury rates. We know that it's a, a later breakout-type position where sometimes guys just don't break out quite yet, but they might still be pretty good or they were good bets. The way that I would explain it is that at draft day, on at draft time, as we talk about it here in June, there are a lot of tight ends that you can make a reasonable upside case for, which is the the argument that you're making for making any draft pick essentially is, can this guy be a difference maker for my team? We've seen late round tight ends rise. It's just a situation where, I mean, if we knew who the tight ends were, we'd take them all early on that are going to break out and that are going to be great. But it's a situation where, yeah, the hit rate at the position is lower. But that doesn't mean that we're wrong to say there's a lot of interesting tight end profiles that we want to have exposure to and we might want to chase. It's just that we know that we're going to be wrong a decent amount, right? Those things are not mutually exclusive. So what I'm hearing you say is that when I have the ceiling signals tool open and Pat Fryermuth and Albert O are at the same target per route level as Travis Kelsey. I want to dream about them actually getting a route percentage that would let that make a difference in 2022. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And Albert O is um, really fascinating. We're talking about a really high rate of targets per route run. We're talking about pretty strong efficiency both seasons a solid dot, more of a, like a little bit of a vertical profile. They did draft Greg Dulcich, good tight end uh, prospect. Our buddy Pat Corain really likes. Pat likes to talk about how Dulcich is more of an, a split wide slot type of athletic, you know, wide receiver type tight end. Okugbanam was pretty heavily used in line. He's a big, but still very athletic, but, but basically an inline tight end. They almost play different positions is what I'm getting at. I don't, 
really see Dulcich as like a significant concern for what Okwugbaram's overall upside could be. But what he's done has been very promising. So I think with the Russell Wilson addition, you have to look at him and, and obviously no Noah Fant on the roster now to look at him as a guy. He's got the the profile that you always talk about, the freak score type of stuff. When we get this type of size and athleticism, that's a touchdown profile, right? So he's got that. He's shown the ability to score touchdowns already in a small sample. Yeah, I mean, you talk about elevating his routes, and I think you're not necessarily going to be able to just project his exact same, you know, certainly not as really high targets per out run rate to continue but it's possible. I mean, like we've seen it with like the Mark Andrews types. Now, Andrews had an even bigger sample than Okugbanon before his step forward. But Alberto, I think it's possible he can continue to be a guy who sees volume at a really high rate per target. Wilson's not always Russell Wilson. It's not always loved his tight ends. But I mean, I, I like I like him a lot at his price. And then Fryermuth for the same reasons. You, you hit on him, but came in strong targets per out run. Didn't have a very high ADOT, didn't have very high after the target efficiency. In terms of yards per target, he had good touchdown efficiency. So it was like overall yards per out run didn't look great in year one, but some of that's because some of those catches ended in the end zone, right? On, the, on a pretty small sample, he caught a decent number of touchdowns. Now you have no juju as well to compete at those lower ADOT areas. Less, you know, in the offense in general, I think you have to think that he is in line to potentially step forward in year two. Those are two just that, that pop. Absolutely. And we wouldn't be getting these prices on Albert. O if not for the fact that there's so much potential target comp- competition, you mentioned Dulcich. It's not just that he's good, but when he's drafted and the head coach is raving about how he looks, then, you know, that's going to knock the other tight end down a little bit. The thing that I would just mention is that, Albert O has put up these numbers despite the presence of Noah Fant, who is also one of the top tight ends in the NFL. To do that in that situation and now have the runway cleared for him to an extent, one of the things that I think that we have to at least consider here is the possibility these tight ends actually ding Sutton and Judy more than the prices on all those guys indicate. And so there's a scenario where you can get some outperformance from the tight ends that doesn't have to come from each other the reasons that you mentioned i'm kind of glad that we have that environment so we can get these prices because the price protects you some it protects you from being wrong and albert only being kind of just a guy which is possible it also gives you room to where if you're right it'll really matter as opposed to if you were having to draft him in that dawson knox range then it would still matter but it's going to matter a little bit less you talked about him as an athlete, and you're talking about a guy who is 6'6", almost 260, and ran a 4'4", 940. And we've seen players like a Vernon Davis in the past who have this insane athleticism at the tight end position and doesn't always translate into receiving ability. One of the things that they would say for Davis is that you know, if he just wanted to put on a little bit of weight, he could be one of the best left tackles in the NFL. He was that good a blocker. He was that good of an athlete. And he had some individual seasons where he was a very good fantasy player as well, but he didn't have the fluidity and just sort of the natural receiving instincts that you see already from Albert O, who, I mean, you compare those two guys in terms of Fant and O, and they were both good. And Fant is excited about this opportunity in Seattle. He says, I'm going to be used down the field. That's going to be good for me. He's in a situation where he's so inexpensive now, despite the fact that almost whoever the Seahawks start will not be worse than what Fant was already dealing with in Denver. It's sad for him that he doesn't get to be part of this Russell Wilson era. But you compare just those two guys and the hip flexibility, the fluidity from Okwebunam was just crazy. And, you know, we're not going to draft a guy on every single team because he can turn his hips. But it's not inconsequential that he looks so good as a receiver. And with him, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, both of those guys really popped despite very poor quarterback play. The upside where they are now 
is pretty intriguing. That might be the first time I've ever heard you use the term hip fluidity, but I can't let it go without without pointing it out. <laughs> you got to throw it in there every once in a while, right? I mean, fans, every time I'm watching fans, he's on all the rosters. I'm just like, your shoulders look so tight. It's like that's me trying to do yoga where it's like the normal pose and you're like, I'm getting one-fifth of the shoulder rotation there that you should be able to do. It's like – That's me too. The yoga is kind of fun. It does help, Ben. I was able to go from doing it, from not doing yoga to doing yoga, and suddenly that tennis serve, you don't have to hit like 100 serves before your shoulder's like, oh, I can work there. Still, it's zero. Okay, so we know that Fant is a little bit more like me. We know that Albert O is more like <laughs> a real athlete. How are we drafting these guys maybe at the next level? The interesting one that I don't feel like I have enough exposure to yet is Cole Komet. He's right after Albert O, a little bit ahead of Irv Smith, then you have Fant, and then you have some guys who are a little bit more touchdown dependent tight ends in Henry, Higby, Tanyan, Logan Thomas. Then for me, I guess it's not that I don't think that can work. And especially if you have the right mix of players and you hit the right weeks. If somebody told me that 2022 tournaments were going to come down to Hunter Henry, Robert Tanyan, and Higby, having multi-touchdown games at the right moment, that would not surprise me, but it's also not really the way I'm drafting. Right. I mean, that you can make that case about a lot of guys. Like we said, it's just the way the tight end position works. I agree with you. It wouldn't surprise me either, but it's not. I mean, if that happens, then I'm probably not going to win. <laughs> um, uh, before jumping into those specific players, I do want to circle back a little because we jumped ahead a little to Fryermuth, who's going at tight end 11. Okugbanam is going tight end 14. Uh, we mentioned Goddard, who's interesting. There's the concerns, I think, with the overall pass volume. He had sort of a fourth-year breakout last year as well, where his numbers were up from what they had previously been, his yards per out run significantly higher than his previous career high. So you have some concerns, the yards per target in particular, some concerns of the efficiency can carry over into 2022 and now you have AJ Brown in the offense. You're, you're sort of buying high a little bit. I, I don't mind him, but Dawson Knox and Zach Ertz at 10 and nine and 10, 10. I just wanted to mention Ertz incredibly old, did well with Arizona late in the year. Not going to give you an explosive season needs to have a lot of catches. I think to return value and be a solid play. I don't know uh, much of a reason why we would expect that maybe early when, when Deandre Hopkins is out, but this receiving core has improved. Even without, you know, Christian Kirk, I think more Rondell Moore and Marquise Brown, obviously now on the roster. They they drafted Trey McBride. I just I can't get there with Zach Ertz at this price. Dawson Knox in a great passing offense, but then they go and add OJ Howard. They have improved receivers as well. And Knox has not done anything from a you know targets per out run perspective or any of those elements. He's been strong from a touchdown perspective. I can understand chasing him up a little bit if you're trying to like build a stack and you started with with Diggs and and Josh Allen early in your draft. I just I, don't, I can't understand Dawson Knox. Other than that, this high in in the seventh round, you know, in tight end premium, where he's I just don't think his numbers support that at all. So that's where I stand on those guys. I just wanted to mention real quick. We Gasicki and Rob Gronkowski. Also, we did mention we don't know necessarily if Gronk's going to play, but he seems like he would will rise certainly. If he comes back, I talked a little about Kasiki, but Komet, Irv Smith, Noah Fant, I think all three of those guys are interesting. Komet is one that, again, very similar to the TJ Hawkinson thing. We liked him as a prospect. You were telling me before the show, I mean, he's big. He's 6'6", 260, and has some good jump numbers, you were saying. So good vert numbers, good broad jump, some athleticism. There was reasons we liked him as a prospect. Solid, I believe only his final season at Notre Dame was a second round pick, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, the kind of guy that maybe it takes a couple of years, but it's also easy to point to, okay, for these first couple of years, he's had Jimmy Graham there playing a very specific red zone role that's limited what Komet has been able to do, especially for fantasy and touchdown wise. Jimmy Graham is not there anymore. This offense needs pass catchers. I mean, that's the big element. If Justin Fields is going to take a step forward, he's going to need a guy like Cole Komet to be to be a solid tight end option for him. And I, I think if, if Komet is, you can see scenarios where Komet and Mooney are really the main two guys in the passing game, and the Bears are able to at least have a competent passing game, sort of a one-two punch that's 
you know, the Tyree kill Travis Kelsey thing, but but the the light light version of that, the the, the diet light with no sugar and, and whatever else. It's not even Splenda. It's something else that they're they're putting in that. But the, you can you can see sort of the structure if Komet can step forward. Hasn't done a ton over his first two years, but I think again the long view element where we say we don't necessarily expect tight ends who come in to be elite right away. He's going into year three. I'm willing to buy that a little bit, especially because he just turned 23. He was a 21-year-old rookie a couple years ago, played at 22 last year and took a step forward, got 93 targets, 60 catches last year. A guy who didn't score a touchdown last year, kind of like the Kyle Pitts thing. But again, that was because Jimmy Graham was running all the routes in the red zone. I think year three, age 23, there's, there's an argument for him from a big picture career perspective that, that this could be a year where he takes a step forward. And this is the kind of bet that I do like to make. And one where if it works out for you, it could potentially work out in a very big way. You mentioned that potential year three breakout, what he did in year two from a route percentage and from a targets per route percentage, not fantastic, but not disastrous by any stretch. And he's been dealing early in his career with sort of weird offensive scheme disruption poor quarterback play now he has dropped some key passes where he got open he didn't make the play you want to see those guys make that but one of the things that draws me to him a little bit is you get the impression he's a very high character guy the work ethic fantastic he's addressing these types of things now in terms of puff piece kind of narratives we're going to get that on a lot of players but this has been very consistent with him then you take that element where he's a fantastic athlete you mentioned those jumps you go to the NFL Combine Explorer, you see 88th percentile vert, 89th percentile broad, also a good mix of height, weight, and speed. He's got an 89th percentile tight end freak score. I mean, he's an athlete, right? He has the profile that you'd be looking for if you're trying to find a George Kittle type of player before the massive explosion happens. Then the other thing that I would say here is that, again, just like you said, if we're talking about potential target volume and we're talking about potential garbage time scoring the chicago bears with cole Komet and what they have both in terms of deficits you would expect them to face and target competition it really sets up for him to have a lot more volume than what his price indicates yeah i love that where are you at on irv smith i haven't given him a ton of thought i think there's definitely an opportunity there it's tough coming off injury but Obviously, Tyler Conklin's not there anymore. I think they still have Chris Herndon on the roster. So if you want to keep chasing the Chris Herndon train, I think you can you can do that as the second tight end there. But it seems to me that Irv sort of has the red carpet rolled out for him to be the main tight end, which was sort of the argument last year after Kyle Rudolph had left. Thielen is aging. You know, they're trying to trying some different things with the number three receiver spot. But is there a case for Irv Smith to be the sort of main number two weapon in this passing game after Justin Jefferson. I mean, not ahead of Thielen necessarily, but let's assume Thielen has a type of season that I think is very squarely in his range of outcomes where he has some injuries. He's slowed. He's not always necessarily on the field. You're going to definitely need a big boost from the offensive scheme change. And the other thing you're probably going to need is to not lose many targets to sort of your no-name players right? The number of sort of target slippage that you get on guys that you're not even thinking about needs to be low in this Vikings offense for Smith to come through because you know Jefferson is going to command a huge number. We know that Thielen is going to command a decent amount, especially in the red zone. And then KJ Osborne played pretty well last year. We also suspect from the offseason reporting that the running backs could be more involved in the passing game, all of which doesn't necessarily leave a ton for Smith when you're talking about a young guy who hasn't done a ton and is coming off of injury and we've got a massive range of outcomes for Irv Smith which is both good and bad I think that the price you would like to be even less expensive because there are some guys coming after him where I think we can project them to have pretty good seasons and yet I'm always going to be pulled in by these young guys and potentially good passing offenses where I mean the sky is almost the limit I prefer to bet on uncertainty as opposed to having that high floor and then i'm just seeing that we're running a little long today 
which we've done on all of our position pods, to be frank. But we got to get to your guy, Gerald Everett. Can't close this show without you getting an opportunity to tout Gerald Everett for the fifth straight year, which (laughs) has been going great, John. Yes, and that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Uh, But I do like Gerald Everett, and I do want Gerald Everett to be my version of Jerry Cook for the fantasy douche. And Gerald Everett is another perfect guy for cherry picking out the perfect time period. One of the things that you're looking at with him is he's been in the NFL for a long time. He's been in some decent passing offenses. He's been with some decent quarterbacks and doesn't have a 500 yard or five touchdown season. That's a pretty solid red flag. So you can understand the price. The thing that I would mention is that Last year when he was playing with Russell Wilson, you have that adjustment period early on in the season. You have the injured time period for Wilson himself. And then you go through all of that and you come back out the other end and over the final six, seven weeks there, you go from week 11 to week 18. That's the second game back after Wilson returns from the broken finger from that point on his per route production was encouraging. He's up there at the 22% range in terms of drawing targets. That was the same number as Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth down the stretch there, just a little bit worse than Travis Kelsey. He runs the 170 routes. So he was involved. It's not like he was just purely a peripheral piece who was coming out there and was targeted someone. He was on the field. I think that if you're going to make the case for Gerald Everett, you have to be encouraged by the fact that he did start to emerge down the stretch here. And I just, I look at that situation with the Los Angeles Chargers and I'm trying to figure out where all of the passes are going to go because Justin Herbert being drafted very early, I think that's justified. We expect the Chargers to put up a lot of points, a lot of passing yards, You have this great quarterback, and yet you look at what their actual options are. And beyond those two starting wide receivers and Austin Eckler, I mean, you almost have to bet on either Josh Palmer or Everett or both because there simply are more targets still available in this offense than what the prices on the Chargers indicate. Yeah, it looks like, I mean, everybody wants to project Justin Herbert to continue to explode and I'm right there with them. And it, it looks like an opportunity, certainly somewhere in this offense, whether that's Mike Williams, who's going really high now, whether that's Keenan Allen carrying on another year, I've talked a little bit about his targets per out run starting to, to trend down his yards per target. Some of the, the efficiency starting to trend down. I don't think it's Joshua Palmer. It's definitely not Jalen Guyton. I think we're like certain of that at this point. So, like, who is it? <laughs> and and Gerald Everett is a really nice bet at his cost that, you know, the guy that would elevate, somebody would need to elevate over these costs for their pass catchers, um, that it could be the tight end. Everett. Then there's a couple other interesting late-round names. I, I'm hearing some stuff about Evan Ingram. We know Trevor Lawrence threw to his tight ends a lot last year. Had a great profile, could be that second team breakout type with the you know the Greg Olson, Eric Ebron guys I was talking about. There was a time when Evan Ingram was very exciting. Not sure if I'm really there on him. David and Joku just got a huge contract, and Austin Hooper is gone. I think Harrison Bryant's still a little bit of a headache, but again, a, a guy who at his cost I could see an argument for. And then Brevin Jordan really late was a prospect who had a nice profile three year early declare true, like wide receiver breakout in college, not the most athletic guy, but looked good in year one with Houston did some stuff on small route samples for them. Jordan Akins is gone. It seems like Brevin Jordan has a little bit of a red carpet rolled out in front of him. The, The guy doesn't even turn 22 until July. He was a young 21 last year. And so he's a really interesting name as well. Are there any guys, I mean, what do you think of those three? Are there any other guys sort of in this really late range that that pop to you? 
you can't completely ignore that contract for Njoku. His situation is going to be tied to the length of that suspension. Ingram, someone, especially if you are making any bets in the direction of a Trevor Lawrence breakout, I think you have to make sure you get a little bit of exposure there. I like the Brevin Jordan call. We were joking before the show that he might be the most talented offensive piece on the Houston Texans. That's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Obviously, Brandon Cooks is fantastic. Beyond that, they basically have no one. So you could get some volume there as he takes that next step. I'm interested in Trey McBride. You mentioned Zach Ertz. McBride is the guy with the higher ceiling. And I think the higher ceiling right away from a second half of the year perspective, but with this sort of side note that because of the DeAndre Hopkins suspension, he might be able to play early, which would then give him the reps, the comfort, the rapport, all of those types of things to maybe take advantage late the risk there of just completely burning a roster spot is the flip side of that, where if you have a blocked rookie at a position where rookies struggle, you've got to take that into consideration. And then just kind of the last note that I would throw out, Bill Belichick is going to call plays for the Patriots. Is that, or was going to be the offensive coordinator for new England? Ben, is that, is that the case? We're hearing a lot of rumors about how, Either for the good or the bad. They've said they're going to do stuff differently. I I don't know. I haven't heard that. So, John Smith. The the offensive players don't know who's going to be coaching them, which you feel like that can't be great. But that's also the way it always is in New England. They've never had a defensive coordinator. It's always unclear. A little part of me thinks that Bill Belichick was not happy with the usage of Smith from Josh McDaniels after they signed him to that contract. It's another sort of thing with him as the sort of proto GM to where that move doesn't look good in light of what they then did with him. I'm not saying you should go out there and and draft a lot of Johnny Smith, but I think you at least want to track what's happening there. He's someone who has just always been so tantalizing and yet the numbers have never been there for him. We know that they have a lot of depth and not a lot of high-end talent at the wide receiver position. Really, all of these guys you would kind of expect to get lost in the wash. They're going to have some decent games. Kendrick Bourne is going to have his 150-yard, two-touchdown games once a month. And and otherwise, the receivers are going to be more or less silent. Do you have any interest in him in the last round? Absolutely. He's a guy I've, I've been looking at in dynasty as a really cheap acquisition. I mean, I think he's a good player. He actually had some pretty good per route numbers last year in his first season. One of the things you have to love is you go back to his time in Tennessee and and look at him having these like long touchdown runs and they were giving him carries last year too. He's a, he's a type of player that, I mean, and I, I can go all the way back to when he was a prospect. I remember how exciting he looked. And some of the tight end modeling at, at Rotoviz way back when. So I think you can make a case when we talk about the situational nature of the tight end position that he's just not been, you know, put in great situations necessarily to excel, but has done pretty well in those opportunities. You talk about maybe a Hunter Henry injury, you talk about a lot of different things. Your, your case that, that maybe Belichick wants to make him more of a focal point of the offense, there's a lot of ways they can use him. I mean, I think when they got him, they were excited about potentially using him as a runner. Like we, like I just said, they saw that Tennessee was doing it that way, and, and they gave him nine carries last year. It's a little bit – I mean, it's actually a lot surprising. He had 37 touches all of last season, only 28 catches. But I think he's good. I, I do think he's good. I think – and people mock that contract. I think there's a reason that he got that contract, certainly. Um so there's some some hope there if the situation becomes one that is favorable for him to you know to to run more routes and to, to potentially actually rack up stats as opposed to being sort of a part time you know almost the equivalent of the uh, the gadget types at the wide receiver running back position that's how he's been used somewhat as a tight end in these last couple of years but if he can actually be treated more like an ever down tight end um, I think you got to be pretty pretty excited about him being that cheap i mean there's yeah 
It's just a question of do things change enough? But we know in New England they do a lot year over year, right? I mean, I like your hypothesis. The Patriots have had offenses that have been focused on two tight ends before. That was something we thought they might have been doing when they signed both these guys last year. Maybe it takes a year for them to do that. Maybe that's why McDaniels left or it has something to do with it or that's the response now that he's gone, the direction Belichick wants to go in. Who knows? But it would not be that surprising if, if John who got in, you know, he almost can't be in a worse situation. I think he's got talent. I do too. And he's a fun way to end the show. It was a lot of fun going through the position with you. It doesn't have quite the pizzazz of running back or wide receiver, but tight end is, is gaining steam in the fantasy community because it is so crucial to winning leagues. And that's what, I mean, we're in it for the fun, but you do want to then come through and hit some big caches in the FFPC and underdog in these big tournaments. And the tight end is going to be your path to that. If you don't have a plan at the tight end position, your team is going to get wiped out, even if it's good elsewhere. Then we've tried to go through some of the different pricing tiers and develop an overall approach to the position, who we would hit early, how you have to approach it. If you don't get those guys early, we know that the two tight end approach is very dominant. If you end up with stars, you want three tight ends and you want these breakout options. If you don't end up with those studs, a lot of different ways to play it, but some names that jump out as being big values in 2022, we're likely to have a lot of exposure to those players. And that'll do it for our positional preview slash strategy session on stealing bananas. We have QB running back wide receiver and tight end all up. We're going to revisit these players later on in the off season and do a team by team slash division by division approach to looking at the teams, figuring out the least expensive way to play the important scenarios that could play out and lead you to victory in 2022. As always, I'm Sean Siegel with me is Ben Gretsch whom you can follow at yards per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for stealing signals. You're not going to want to miss the summer content. If you can subscribe to our feed, you'll get these shows when they come out. We'll have some bonus episodes over the ensuing couple of weeks. Leave us a rating and review. We always appreciate those. You guys have been fantastic in that area. Join us over at Rotoviz. We'd love to have you use the coupon code RBRadio2022 at checkout. You get 10% off a one-year subscription. We're playing over at Underdog. We're going to have some Underdog drafts in the near future. Use the coupon code Rotoviz there to get a 100% deposit match up to $100. Can't wait to draft with you guys. We'll chat with you soon.